0: Bubs and Royal sounds. What are we? A consulting firm? Elite? What are we?
1: What are we? Law firm? I think we're a modern age boy band. Hey,
2: <laughs> there we go. I used to play a little guitar.
0: <laughs> Not much hair going on on in our boy band. We can be an aging boy band, graying,
1: balding. Yeah, I'm, I'm bringing the team band. down there. Sorry, guys. Oh, that's all right. At least it doesn't show me from the back. Then I'd be right there with you. <laughs>
0: Fellas, uh, really good to have you on. Uh, We've been trying to organize this for a little while, but yeah, I want to talk about something quite different with you guys. You know, we, we often talk about, you know, nutrition and performance from an athlete perspective, but I want to dive in with you guys around leadership and coaches. And this comes off the back of, you know, Pratika came to you and, and said, can I, Pick your brain for the tough stuff. I, I want to talk about this angle around how coaches are preparing themselves for performance. And, you know, you gave me some of the most memorable quotes, actually, you know, in the entire book. So thank you for gifting us that. But why don't we start with you in terms of, you know, having been around professional sport, you know, your background in the NFL and And how coaches are you know preparing their bodies, given that they're, you know, knowledge workers and need to be alert and aware and make decisions, but also, you know, fueling themselves not to the level that's you know we would expect of our players. So maybe we can start there and and kind of go off the back of that. Tell us about your experience in in pro sport with
1: the coaching side of it. Yeah, in you know, just just the same fashion working in the collegiate athletics. So these coaches are putting in significant number of hours every single day. So there's an extensive amount of preparation and time that's spent talking and planning. So it doesn't really allow them to craft a very healthy lifestyle. So they're eating what they can at certain times, you know, depending on the stress level of the individual coach, sometimes they'll have specific vices. They might turn to alcohol or other things to help them cope and get through days. So what it is that they're eating isn't exceptionally ideal to help facilitate their ability to continue to make important decisions, think a little bit creatively, you know, dive deeper into really problem solving some of the things that a head coach really needs to do. And then you compound that with the stress levels and what happens with travel and game day and having to have a coach in the middle of a moment, make really tough, really important decisions. And then you expect them to be sound decisions. And maybe there's something that might be holding them back from a health standpoint. Maybe it's just poor nutrition, blood, poor blood glucose control, excessive adiposity, things that all start to snowball and compound themselves to really affecting the brain and cognitive function, just overall health and their general well-being and how they feel. So having the opportunity to see that firsthand is, is definitely tough because you want to help them and make them aware of, hey, you're going through some tough times. You have some really bad habits. There are things that you might do to improve some of your lifestyle factors and decisions and things of that nature. But addressing it is is another issue because sometimes coaches just don't care. They don't see that, you know, they, they know that health and performance is important. They preach it all to their, their players, nutrition, sleep, exercise, everything. We've crafted these performance departments to address all of these different issues. And of course, the players, obviously, we want to make sure that they come first, but the coaches shouldn't neglect themselves either. But sometimes that just gets lost in translation.
0: Yeah. And it can be everything down to, you know, game time where you have leagues that have fluctuating game times, sometimes, you know, midday, sometimes middle of the afternoon, sometimes 7.00 PM start, whatever it may be. You know, it's ironic that we're having this conversation. I just had a session with one of my coaches and we were talking about that where he likes big breakfast in the morning, go into it at about 1.00 PM. So that you know, he can eat again by 3 p.m., 4 p.m., and he knows that he's that he's good, but late start, 8 p.m. start, and he forgot to eat before the game. And so he goes breakfast all the way through to 8 p.m. start and ends up, you know, stress kind of gets the better of him because he hasn't really prepared himself. But, Mark, to you, I'd love to hear your experience with just this general topic that specifically around – you know, a lot of your work in basketball, for instance, is around tournaments, national team tournaments, which are but those hyper condensed anything can happen on any given day. You might not even know when you're playing, depending on when you knock teams out or other teams get knocked out. And so you must see this on a, a really heightened scale as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, it makes me think of two things really. I mean, I think of clinical practice of just dealing with you know a lot of men's health stuff and so. You know guys in their 40s 50s 60s who are you know busy executives or in these positions and you know you go through what they're doing from a nutrition standpoint or a sleep standpoint this is probably sometimes dovetails with what we see with athletes is that they're so busy doing all these other things that the nutrition piece isn't the priority right there the sleep piece just gets sort of left behind and and you're left with some you know, like a a diet diary that looks pretty ridiculous in terms of some of the, the things that they're consuming or when they're consuming it. And I remember I had one week in practice years ago where, you know, one of the guys was a rocket scientist, right? Developing a clean burning rocket fuel. And so it's not because he's not smart enough that he's not making these decisions, right? It's the fact that he's got his eyes focused on this thing that he's trying to achieve. And some of these other things just sort of fade to the background and, you know, the the gaps, if you will, and what he was doing were somewhat obvious, but I guess when you're that deep into, into what it is you're trying to achieve, it gets tougher. So I think that's one of the areas where, you know, we can see this, the coaches, especially if, uh, you know, as you know, Cody, like all the demands of being a coach, plus like all the family demands and everything else that, yeah, they often have really bad, just ingrained kind of habits. And for a lot of our clients or even, athletes who aren't playing professionally, you think, geez, you walk up to the canteen, all the food's just there for you, right? Like the food's already made. The buffet is just there. You just have to, how, it doesn't really get much easier, but if you don't have those, those habits kind of built in, then all of a sudden it's easy to hit the desserts or to over you know, to Pratik's point, we're not sleeping enough. All of a sudden in the morning, now we're consuming a really high uh, sugar breakfast. And so right from the jump, Right. We're going to get these blood sugar highs and lows. That's going to impact mood. It's going to impact how the person thinks. And so I think all that then gets amplified when you get into a position. And, you know, even in conversations that Pratik and I have had, like, as you get later in a season in something like the NFL or the NBA, or for us on a on these condensed schedules when you're in a World Cup or Olympic qualifiers where, you know, after seven, eight, nine, ten days in a closed you know, in, in close quarters and with funny schedules, then all of a sudden it can ramp itself up. And it's, you know, it's subtle, but it's those moments that matter, right? I mean, if you're running off a little sleep and you're not feeling properly, then all of a sudden, you know, decision-making can come into question for sure.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it, it's been really interesting to me off the back of writing the tough stuff where there was two, well, there's three chapters that really hit home. One was, Tactics don't really matter because coaches look at that and say, that's ridiculous. Of course they do. And then everyone thinks you're an idiot, which again, two just straight clickbaity chapter titles. But the one that really hit home for the the widest array of people was you're hired for your brain. And and this is where, you know, you came in critique and, and what we talked about around if you think about it that way, that you are hired for your brain, it makes you reflect on how can I put my brain in the best possible position to do the things that it needs to do at game time. So at 7. PM or, you know, in the NFL at one 425 or seven 30, how can I be at my absolute optimum? And it makes you consider your sleep. It makes you consider hydration, sunlight, fueling, uh, all of these different performance elements that we kind of know the secrets to anyway, like they're sitting there. Our job is optimizing human performance. And so I, I kind of see it as a really obvious thing that's being overlooked in performance, but Prateek, what are some of the other things? Like what are some of the misnomers around, you know, fueling and, and general performance? you talk about this a lot on Twitter around just, general misnomers that exist in you know, popular science that might not actually be helping us in our performance?
1: Yeah, because you know we're now in the day and age where any and everything gets put on social media and gets posted for clicks and likes, even through national media outlets and organizations. So the amount of nutrition information out there is vast, and a lot of it isn't necessarily overly credible, and most of it isn't applicable to specific situations. So if we're looking at optimal health and human performance. And we're not necessarily thinking about athletes in general. We want to optimize it for high high level thinkers, whether it's a head coach or a high level CEO, then there are specific things that can definitely help out with that. Not everybody's trying to gain muscle mass and everybody wants to be um, the best athlete. But at the same time, people don't necessarily also want to look like a bodybuilder or have a six pack. They just want to feel good. And I think when You get into all these different conversations about well you have to fast you can only eat one meal a day or you have to follow a specific diet trend or a fad you have to go plant-based you have to go keto you have to go vegan not only does it start infiltrating our athletes but it's it's the stuff that the coaches start thinking of too so i've worked with a handful that are like well i need to lose weight i need to go on keto And it's like well have you actually addressed the habits that you currently have and work backwards from there to say what about that nightcap you have every night before bed? You're drinking, you know, X, Y, and Z number of glasses of drinks, which is affecting your ability to sleep. Or, you know, you're staying up significantly late working on plays, you know, you're in front of your screen, you are you haven't gotten much sunlight during the day, now you're getting an overload of blue light, you know, from 11 p.m., 12 p.m., 1 a.m. You know, all these different factors kind of add up to really influence somebody's overall health and performance and then it also influences food choices and decision making so it's not just that specific day it's what actually compounds itself day after day after day so when you hear people talk about well you don't have to track calories or you have to follow a certain timing I think it adds to a lot of confusion and there's no one right recipe for everybody and that's just the truth of it as you mentioned coaches and teams and players are going to fall. Follow a different schedule, you know, daily and weekly. It's not always going to be clean. It's not always going to be the same. But what we know, for the most part, is we can optimize things like circadian health. Try to push things that assist with stress management and recovery and sleep. um, Eating a high amount of protein, maybe doing a little bit of time-restricted feeding and not eating too late in the evening. Trying to follow a set path and plan where you know I'm eating this much at this time during the day consistently, whether we have a late kickoff, whether we have an early kickoff, everything else just kind of falls in line, then that will allow somebody to get used to that schedule. So now we're optimizing circadian health and we're we're providing our body with what it needs instead of kind of, you know, dinking and dunking and eating whenever you get the chance to, or whatever you get your hands on. And we know that we were kind of talking about this before, when you eat something out of the norm from your daily schedule, like I did last night with a plate of brownies and a bunch of Reese's because I hadn't eaten my normal meals before, like that hunger just carried over, then I'm going to make a bad decision. And I'm gonna, that's negatively affect me. You know, luckily for the short time, because I'm not going to make those decisions again.
2: And it's funny, even you know, I jump in here, Cody, like, you know, for an athlete, even over feeling a little bit post-game isn't necessarily even the end of the world. But then to Pratik's point of like, if coaches then are running on these really irregular eating patterns, and then it finally becomes 11 p.m. and now we're really hitting the, you know, all the ultra processed stuff, the stuff that tastes good, bring on loads of calories. Yeah. Just what Pratik said. Now we don't sleep as deeply. The next morning we wake up. We've got some really cool studies at the university of Bath showing that on short sleep, if you caffeinate first thing, that even exaggerates your blood sugar response, you're going to have this really exaggerated up and down now. And so you just end up on this loop where every day you're trying to play catch up. And, you know, with with that conversation on cognitive performance, it's hard to perform if you're just kind of always trying to chase feeling you know level or your best right
0: and then how much do you see almost guilt at coaches coming to you guys and maybe taking away you know time you know support staff are already swamped the snc's the, the nutritionists everyone around is already worked to the max and then for the coach to say hey can i get some sort of eating plan or structure is that something that you run into as well or is this just a non conversation
1: No, I think it's a conversation that is definitely good to have. And I, you know, I've worked with head coaches and other position coaches that have had questions and they want to optimize their health because getting a coach that really puts emphasis on taking care of themselves can be another sounding board for them to really emphasize it with the team too. So it's not only the message coming from you to the players, it's also from the head coach who recognizes it. And if they adopt certain healthy behaviors, and really stay compliant with it and get the benefit of it, then they're going to be really into it and, and take ideas to say, okay, uh, I want to bring you in conversations with what we're doing with the team. Does this make sense? Are we optimizing everything that we potentially could and should for the players to an extent? I mean, there are certain things that look, life happens, you can't control everything, but as long as you're proactive in your approach, then that can be a very powerful thing. And, and the same effect, if They do come to you and they do see a benefit and it changes their life. And that's just another cherry on the top. You know, obviously, we want to make sure that our athletes are number one priority, but at the same time, it's not always going to be about the athletes. You know, we're not going to be with them 24 hours of the day. Once they leave, it's all the support staff, all the coaches that are still in the building working together, going through the same types of things. Players will come and go, and hopefully, it's not the same for coaches, even though we, we know that's not true. So if you can positively impact somebody else's life aside from an athlete, then that's another, uh, a just good thing to tip your hat on, you know, with what we do in our, our careers. I was going
2: to say, I don't know if it's, it must be similar for you, whereas a lot of times it's just that little conversation at the on the sideline or at the, you know, at the end of a meal where the coach might ask a question, like, yeah, I got this one little thing. And all of a sudden that sort of starts to, you know, opens the gate a little bit for them to, to start to address. Um, sometimes I find that a little bit, at least our, a lot of our guys, a bit, a bit of a distance between, Like I said, I mean, for men in general, right, there's two heuristics on why men go to the doctor. They they will wait to go to the doctor until either A, it interrupts with their work life or B, it interrupts with their sex life. Until two of those things happen, they're just going to grin and bear whatever thing or ailment that they have. And of course, that's a problem. Um, But and so I think based on that, a lot of them don't want to, you know, have a bit of a fear of going to their doc because it's going to be, you know, let's overhaul your whole life where, you know, as I'm sure Prateek does, like you could just start with targeted things that help to move the needle in the right direction. And then they start to feel better. They start to realize the benefit. And then not only are they gonna be on board with, you know, what I'm suggesting or Pradeek's suggesting, but I love that point then then they really get it. And now now it's easier to connect the dots for the rest of the guys, or even for them to pick up things, whether it's even the s or whoever else in the performance staff to say, oh, actually I saw this thing in this guy. You know, they kind of recognize those patterns and that become, makes your job a lot easier, right?
0: Yeah. I really see this as a cultural thing. And so I love the conversation around, you know, it's a great way to emphasize for the players that, you know, the the standards of behavior are here and I'm on board with that. Like I'm, I'm fueling my body correctly as well. I'm taking care of my brain. I'm, you know, I have conversations with, with head coaches a lot around, you know, introducing mindfulness and the answer is always you do it first and uh, you know we ha- we have conversations around standards all the time it's you do it first <laughs> and so i i kind of see this as a, a a way to emphasize culture that is probably not there yet um and and another kind of idea comes to mind just because of well, who it is, you know, There's a story of when Cristiano Ronaldo comes back to Manchester United and, you know, the first Friday before the game, usually they have the dessert table out and, you know, Lee Grant, the goalkeeper is telling the story on on the radio. And he says, you know, all the players, none of the players get up to go to the dessert table because they're waiting to see if he gets up to go. (laughs) And so, you know, this is a, this is a, this is a club that has sold itself to the world on its standards of behavior, the highest possible standards that possibly exist in soccer are supposed to be here. But until that bloke arrived, that influential bloke and didn't get up to get the dessert, they weren't actually living that high standard. And that's what I mean in terms of a coach can help to elevate that standard with their behavior and not wait for Cristiano to have to walk through the door for the guys to not go and get that dessert. Um, again, uh, there's certain circumstances where you want to leave a bit of humanity in life and let them have apple crumble. But that's the kind of thing that I think coaches are overlooking by not factoring in just these small things that they're doing as influential to the overall culture. So it's not a nutrition thing. It's a cultural thing.
2: Yeah. it's how humans behave too, right? It's that sort of leader follower dynamic and the uh... You know, I was fascinated by an interview I did with Andrew King years ago, behavioral ecologist, and just talking about, you know, he's got a great TED talk called Simple, Selfish, and Hungover, where he just talks about behavior and how we're not actually dissimilar to all these other various animals who operate on these very sort of simple heuristics or rules. And then one of them is what you're pointing out, of just like if somebody within the group is who's a leader is doing something, then all of a sudden everybody else is like, okay. And they can go in both ways, right? It can be the that positive behavior or, you know, as we see a lot in the sport and I'm sure Pateek's got a lot of good stories there too, of like, if it's going in the wrong direction, it can really pull uh, pull the team apart. Right.
1: Yeah. And and unfortunately, you know, the seasons I worked in the NFL, we didn't meet expectations. So things were definitely going in the wrong direction Uh, and you're kind of just along for the ride. So when that happens, you get a chance to see everybody's behavior. So it's not just a support staff. It's like, okay, what are the other coaches doing? How are they taking care of things? How are they handling themselves? Is it, you know, spending a little bit of time in the facility and then heading home to kind of decompress and trying to get away from all the stress. But the players definitely do pick up on a lot of things. It's not just what we do because even though we see them the most every single day, because of all the interactions, everything that's programmed on the schedule, they'll pick up on, you know, what are the head coaches doing? What are the position coaches doing? And they'll have their own thoughts and their own ideas and formulations about what they perceive from them. So, you know, as Cody, as you were saying, and Mark, you were saying, it doesn't necessarily matter who you are. If you're a leader at the top, then everybody's going to follow you regardless of what you say. It's more along the lines of also what you do as well because sometimes your actions speak a lot louder than words do. And even sometimes the media can pick up on that too. You see how sometimes perceptive, you know, in New York is the biggest media market outlet for sports in general. I didn't necessarily realize it or know it until I got there. You know, after every practice, you have 20 or 30 local media people that are just there for a practice This is kind of unheard of, and they're picking up on everything. They want to know any and everything, and fans get involved too. And so fans start picking up on these things as well, and they'll make their own decisions and and opinions about it. And now we know we're in this day and age where the fans can move the needle when it comes to ownership as well. So being that figurehead and coach that you don't have to be the healthiest person on the planet, but somebody who values these things, you know, it, it can be really resounding just in terms of how people act and how people think and how people feel on a daily basis.
0: Yeah. Uh, You know, we're, we're in this world of everyone will get on on their Ted talk or get up on stage and talk about marginal gains. And it just seems to be something that's sitting there for us as coaches to, to take advantage of in terms of buying into optimizing human performance. Uh, It's supposed to be the category that we know the most, uh, I just want to revisit something that you talked about earlier critique because I wrote about it in in the tough stuff and it's hit home with a lot around vices and, you know, particularly with men and alcohol and the well, because you've used it Mark, like the, the heuristic of using alcohol to numb either stress or pain that exists in these super heightened stressful environments but also as it starts to become a little bit murky where you've got certain games where alcohol is actually part of the structure of the game itself. So I I talk about rugby in the book and having a beer after a game of rugby, having a beer in the, the sheds with the opposition is actually part of the game and is a part of the fabric of it. And so it kind of draws you in, but that becomes a really slippery slope when you're also using that to, to numb. And so how can coaches or leaders that maybe recognize they want to change that habit and that heuristic around alcohol, like, where can they start?
2: I mean, when we look at low mood, even in men, you know, the status is something like 50% of, of, I think this is in white males at some point in their lifetime will have some sort of dependency on some, a substance or drug or whatnot, which is pretty outrageous. And that was an interview I did with a fellow named uh, Dr. Drew Ramsey, he's a psychiatrist. And the thing that jumps out as well is that even if we talk about this kind of burnt out coach, who's a type A or a business person, they're often not going to admit that they're burnt out, right? But all these signs of how they're feeling, whether it's, you know, low libido, low mood, although, you know, in men, the low mood actually exposes itself typically as more like the the irritated, the anger, the outbursts, right? And we don't often associate that with being, a you know, quote unquote depressed. And so I think that's where then the you're kind of getting to here with, you know, when we get to having, you know, whether it's having a beer with the team or the performance staff, that's not a big deal, but all of a sudden it's multiple drinks every night. Now we don't sleep as deeply. The next morning we feel like we need to caffeinate more heavily and now we're stuck on this loop that does impact. Um, and I think just in general, I mean, men don't do a very good job of addressing even you know issues around mood, right? Because there's still a lot of stereotypes with that, even with all the changes in recent years with, with in, in across pro sport. But uh, it is a slippery slope because yeah, in sports where you also connect via this thing, then then where is the
1: you know you got to find that middle ground? Don't you and it's not always easy to do. And it could be something that's just very common with specific coaches. because I've known a lot that, Hey, once the work day is over, they're going straight to the bar, they're having drinks. And, you know, if the season's not going very well, we know that there's an association between winning increased dopamine, increased testosterone, and you're losing, you get the opposite effect. So, which is unfortunate. So if you, I mean, when you're winning and everything's going great, then you're not necessarily thinking about, well, I've, you know, I'm not feeling very good. I'm, a, I'm not looking forward to going into work tomorrow. Well, that's, that's not the case, but, um, what happens with a lot of coaches and a lot of people is that's, that's how they cope. You know, it's part of their daily routine, whether it's a drink or multiple drinks or going out to the bar or at home watching film or watching former previous games, drinking. So it's kind of just figuring out, is this just something that's an ingrained habit or is it actually something that's being turned to as a codependency issue? Because it is a larger vice. And, and again, it's a difficult process and it's complex and it's, it can be, multifactorial and would need to involve a lot lot of specialists to kind of address it. But at least raising awareness is the first step, I believe, just saying like, hey, is this you? You know, if you're not, if things aren't going well, if the team isn't winning, you're overly stressed, like what is it that you're actually doing to cope? Or do you have some stress management pieces in place? Are you drinking? Are you eating? So it's not just alcohol. Some people can turn to food just as easily. And that can be the coping mechanism as well. So I think the biggest piece is kind of raising self-awareness and allowing people to just assess their situation and see what, you know, what is going on and do they have somebody that they trust that they can actually turn to, to talk about what's, what's happening. As you said, nowadays, it's a little bit more common for men to address issues and talk about what, you know, their feelings and what's going on what the status of mental health. It's not where it needs to be. And hopefully it's, it's progressing in that direction. But again, it's, it's not an easy fix at all because alcohol is so prevalent in sport. I mean, those two go together very much hand in hand, especially in the States.
0: Yeah. It's great that you raised that as well around food. Like the, the actual coping mechanism doesn't necessarily need to be alcohol. It can be a whole range of different things and food is, is one that I commonly run into that coaches know about, you know, and again, it, it's funny because it, it is linked to losing. Ironically, like it, it, it's almost a, a punishment. Like I'm going to punish myself because of this result. And so I'm going to go and have a large pizza to myself and lay on the couch. And so, yeah, again, I, I think there's, there's avenues out now. There's roles like what I'm doing, coaches or, or sports psychologists that can just help provide a little bit of structure and again, I, I think just the raising awareness is a huge piece as well, in terms of we can all look after each other. There are people within our organizations that exist now that can send a text or just keep people in check when they know
2: that, you know, someone's
0: struggling with those behaviors as well.
2: I think that, I mean, the pandemic also has taught us how it's a slippery slope, right? Like it's easy to go from, I only drink wine on the weekends to now all of a sudden everyone's watching Netflix and drinking a half a bottle or a bottle of wine every night. Cause everyone's stuck at home. Um, And so I think some of those even just like little ways of controlling your environment. And it sometimes sounds funny, but it's like maybe it's a single serve bottle of wine. So you don't crack open the whole big 750 mils that you're going to finish or, you know, a a can of beer at home or, uh, you know, alcohol free beer. Some of these ways that you can actually set up your environment that you can only that, that limits it. Right. Rather than having that. And I think this is the trouble when you're staying in a hotel or somewhere where there's access to everything is that there is, you can just keep going, right? There's it's it's tougher to control that environment or you've got to just be a bit more pre planned with how you do it.
1: Yeah. I think it's an interesting port into, you know, hopefully each of these organizations and teams has somebody there that is very much trained to be able to be that person that can talk to whether it's a psychologist, somebody qualified. I had a, a great conversation with actually a former player when I went and visited in Houston. And, you know, we were just revisiting the the last season that we were together. And he's like, look, let me tell you, I was going through a lot stress wise at home and I was drinking every night and, you know, I didn't tell anybody about it. I was my way of coping and dealing with things that were going on in his life, things that were going on with, you know, his status as being a player on the roster, the team not doing very well, having some unknowns about his future with the team and potentially any other organization. And, you know, I wish that, I would have maybe known that. Not to say that I was going to fix the problem, but just be like, "Hey, I'm here if you want to talk." You know, I'm not going to try to change everything that's going on in your world. But if you want somebody to talk to, because a lot of times somebody just needs somebody to vent to, somebody to—it's t- just yeah, just an ear, um, a non-judgmental ear. You know, I think that can be very powerful as well. Again, having this conversation is great because I think
0: all in all, what I'd love to see is people getting into our industry with their eyes wide open. And, you know, I was kind of blown away actually in researching for the tough stuff and reading about Jim Montgomery, who ended up losing his job at the Dallas stars because of his alcoholism. And they went on to make the Stanley cup final that year. So, you know, this isn't a, a team that's, you know, bottom of the NHL struggling. And, you know, that's, cost him his job. You know, he he says in, it was quite a confronting interview actually talking about it afterwards up here in Canada and and said, you know, I had to go home to my wife and kids and say, I lost my job, not because we were losing, but because I I have, you know, a a substance issue. And so, but what I realized is when you track his career, he he talks about, you know, not struggling until, you know, his forties and then you you put that statement up against his career trajectory and you realize that he went from coaching i think under 19s to the NHL in about 10 years from his 40s and so like the 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 rise in stress levels and everything that comes with going from coaching in detroit you know the mighty ducks you know, junior hockey to the NHL in 10 years and the the rise in just stress and the environment around there was clearly no support infrastructure around him to help him deal with all of the, what came with it. And so again, it's not like you said, Batik, we can't fix all these things, but what we can do is we can create infrastructure and we can have people walk into these environments with their eyes wide open so that, when there is something that that they want to flag they know where to go and they know that there is something for them there even just an empathetic ear and someone to listen
2: i was just going to say actually with with that last with that last story too i mean this It's difficult, too, with your family, if you have a family and you're having to travel with your family, because oftentimes your family is what you lean on to help you through moments. But if you're having to move your family all the time or your kids are changing schools and oftentimes in someone's 40s or 50s is when these things really start to become, you know, the family almost becomes a big stressor as well alongside the coaching. And so I find that can be a challenge for this could be business too, right? You get clients who travel 300 days of the year because their jobs and sales or whatnot. Um, and all of a sudden there's no, you know, normally the same family would be the place where you could decompress and relax. Now that's stressful work stressful, And and so then, yeah, this is where, you know, turning to something, whether it's the alcohol and food or or whatnot, becomes the, what you lean on, right. Which is that's that, that light in the dashboard of the car saying, Hey, you know, to your point, Cody, okay, we need to address this because this isn't the way we should be. Uh, you know, this isn't going to help us if we're coping this way. It's tough
0: too. I mean, you look at head coaches and CEOs and the way I position it is there's actually not much in the career trajectory or the career pathway that prepares you for that. You now, the reason there there are CEO groups is because only the CEOs know the nuance of what they're dealing with. And so they get together and they talk about being a CEO. Because the CFO doesn't quite understand exactly what it is about the stress of being in the limelight. And head coaching is now like that, where being an assistant, quite frankly, is great. You get to be buddy buddies with the players. You guys know this. It's a different role. You're, you're, you can go out. When the players go to the bar, the assistant coaches can go with them. The head coach, not going with them. And there's there's a different power dynamic there. There's people treat you differently. There's no media, um, you know I'm blown away in major league baseball by just the amount of media. For instance, those guys head coaches are in, you know, twice a day for 162 days in front of the media, you know? And so there's little things like that, that you wouldn't have ever had to deal with on the pathway up that are now just thrust upon you in this new world. And so that's why I talk about, you know, support infrastructure, little things that we can put around people because they're not going to be able to deal because there's no way for them to reference in their history unless they've been in the role before. All right. pratik, You love your tips. Give us some tips here. Performance, mm-hmm. nutrition, <laughs> strength, masculinity, <laughs> Any anything in that realm? How are we helping coaches? Where can they start? Where are some tips coming from you? Yeah,
1: I think it's just addressing the factors that are very much controllable, and assessing where each play, which each coach is, and where it is that they can be. So, if it's nutrition, all right, are we getting adequate nutrition? The appropriate caloric amounts, eating you know fairly consistently, maybe following a time restricted feeding plan, starting earlier in the day, and having a certain cutoff at a specific time. Hopefully not in overindulging in, you know, alcohol, a lot of ultra processed foods, getting an adequate amount of protein in terms of exercise, you know, for, for males and, and for hopefully most coaches, they have access to a weight room. Um, you know, we know as we age, one of the biggest factors which correlates with quality of life and decreased mortality is how much muscle mass somebody has. And the only way we're going to be able to do that is by doing some form of strength training, resistance training, instead of the coaches that say, hey, I'm, you know, in the morning, I'm going to give you my 30 minutes or 45 minutes on the elliptical. It's like, okay, well, maybe 35 to 45 minutes of some form of resistance training. It doesn't have to be you lifting the world, which a lot of coaches, if they're former players, that's what their association is. So sometimes they just don't like it because of what they were forced to do prior. Um, You may be looking at stress management techniques. They have something during the day that they can focus for as little as five minutes. I mean, a coach should be able to say, I have five minutes to myself. If not, well, you're the head coach program it into the schedule. Everybody's going to fucking follow it um, to just sit back, turn everything off zone out and just be alone with your thoughts. Maybe do some nasal breathing, you know, five minutes, maybe turns into 10, which maybe turns into 15 to be able to say, this is how I'm going to center myself and collect my thoughts, get into some non deep sleep rest. Um, and really just, feel better. maybe even looking at, you know, their environment all around them, you know, what kind of support structures do they have at home, at work and know that do they have somebody that they can turn to once things might be going a little bit off track or things not going the way they want to, somebody that can kind of bring them back and wrangle them in and get them back to neutral to say okay, hey, I know your mind's going in a bunch of different directions. Let's just kind of focus on what it is that we're doing right now, you know, what's good, what's going on and how can we put a plan together? And then, you know, kind of thinking about sleep. And then we know that sleep sometimes is a premium depending on time of year, what's going on, is there travel, are you in preseason, or are you in season? But actually, just coming up with certain things that coaches can do during the day, maybe getting some early sunlight exposure if possible, you know, opening up windows in the facility if you can't be out on the training ground or the practice field, making sure that once, you know, sun goes down, they have some means to slowly block some blue light if they have to be up working on film or creating plays or contacting players or other coaches and then having a hard line to say okay at this time I know that if I'm going to be waking up you know 4 a.m or 5 a.m let me work backwards and say my sweet spot is six hours seven hours you know hopefully it's not four or five sometimes you know most coaches probably can't get eight we know that but let's at least maximize what they can do in the situation to say this is my cutoff time to say this is when I want to get ready to go to sleep everything else I can leave to the morning or hopefully delegate to somebody else so i think getting a chance to look at health in a a wide range instead of oh it's just nutrition it's just exercise because there's a lot of things that people can do that can add a lot of value and there are also things that coaches are doing that might be holding them back and they might not be aware of it too
2: you must see this too like the quick fixes like even if you're a a intelligent in person even if you're a doctor like you you immediately go to i'm sure you see this critique where somebody's got feel like they have low testosterone and immediately the question is hey critique, should i be taking a gel or a cream right and it's like wait a minute you're sleeping five hours a night you know why don't we get you up to when, mm-hmm. when we get up to six and a half or seven and we're gonna get a nice bump there um so i think that's part of it too is just being able to figure out how do we, how do we take some of these easy wins where coaches are just making you know i mean life is busy but when we see, you know, in the NBA, whether it's Tron, Lou, Doc Rivers, Steve Clifford, these guys who are sleeping less than six hours, who are running again these busy days, and yet that idea of—and again, in any industry—we can stay up all night now on the internet and then with the blue light and the stimulation be be somewhat productive. But so we actually have to set that cutoff time to say, hey, it's ten o'clock or it's eleven o'clock or whatever time it is, midnight. Because if you don't, if you don't start setting those boundaries, it's really easy for it to just start bleeding into all other areas of the day and it typically is in the evening and then you know we're, we're struggling to keep up in the day so I, I've i always been amazed at how even very you know a lot of the people I coach medical doctors and their the questions or the solutions that they have for things you're like wait a minute if a patient came in you wouldn't tell them to do that but now because it's you you can't see the forest or the trees and you're just, you're just making these decisions that actually don't really make much sense you're just reaching for these quick fixes and so I think that's you sort of touched on it before, trying to shine a light on some of these issues, so the person can actually just stop and zoom out to thirty thousand feet and see the situation that they're in, and some of these things almost become a bit obvious. So like, you, know, you think you can be productive on five hours of sleep a night? I mean, you know, does this to your mindset, this to your, you know, recovery and glucose control and inflammation, all these types of things. So that that can kind of help to be able to just shine that light.
0: I won't have. There's not enough time. Absolute garbage. There is so much performative performance, let's call it going on that that doesn't need to be in the day. So that that's not a, that is not an excuse for me. That is absolute garbage. If if that's your excuse, I'm going to say, check yourself. There is so much stuff packed into a lot of these days at the professional level that doesn't need to be in there. And so, if you can't find the five or ten minutes, uh, I I'm calling bullshit on that now. And so, it's the, old, the
2: old saying with the, it's not time management, it's priority management, right?
0: Right. And you know, the the biggest issue that we deal with in elite environments is information packing for the players. So you know, it's not the three hours that are actually you know with them at the facility. It's people feel like they need to be packing more information into their heads in the other 21 hours. And it's not true. All you're doing is, is clouding the initial message. And so like a lot of this stuff doesn't actually need to be in there. And so the ability to find the five minutes, the 10 minutes, the 20 minutes to be in the gym, to do a a quick lifting session, it is there. Um, And then just to loop it back to, just that cultural element as well, if possible, not always possible because sometimes you're out putting the cones out or designing training or whatever it may be. If you can lift with the players, talk about a a culture amplifier to just be in the gym for for 20 minutes with them. If you're going to be lifting, you know, they're going to be lifting. So why not want to jump in there and, and have some camaraderie and, and be a part of the culture. Like part of our problem in, in particularly head coaching is a loneliness and being an outsider. Jump in the gym with them for 20 minutes, pump out a couple of sets, have the crack, have a bit of a laugh, have the guys make fun of you. A mass, massive culture builder right there that's just sitting right in front of us.
2: Definitely, that all of the you know vulnerability, right? Trying to build build trust. You got the you need the authenticity and vulnerability. I imagine that's a good way to get the vulnerability going for the coaches to jump in with the guys. But yeah, it's good, right? It's, be able to show that and say, "Hey, I'm in, I'm in this." Especially if you're if the coach is struggling with uh, you know being as fit as they once were. Hundred percent. I think gotta watch those one RMs though. I imagine, right? You know,
0: I mean, I, I doubt they're gonna want to jump in the pool with with the team and probably other than jacking up threes or, um, you know, I think the skills are probably a bit dusty as well. So <laughs> weights might be the best one. Prateek for people that want to follow along with you and what you're doing, where can they find you?
1: Yeah, they can find me on Twitter and Instagram. My handle is at pratique Both of them are the same. So try to put out a decent amount of content regularly on both.
0: Yeah. Great content too. And, you know, challenge a lot of norms and a lot of that thinking uh, common thinking that we have around a a lot of these elements. So highly recommend that Mark, other than, I guess we call you best-selling author, Mark Bubbs. Now is it Dr. Mark?
2: People people just call me Bubbs, but yeah, I got a unique last name. So if you go to at Dr. Bubbs, you can find, uh, find me on Twitter and Instagram and drbubbs.com is is the website. You can check it, check that out.
0: Yeah. Pretty easy to find the three of us to be quite fair (laughs) with unique,
2: unique names are stand out (laughs) a little bit
0: lads. This has been awesome. Thanks for jumping on with me Uh, a lot of information for coaches and and just leaders in general, and and hopefully stoke some thought about, uh, again, just potentially making a, a small little upgrade to something. So I think the message here is, is pick one thing, look at it, explore how you personally might be able to improve that. It's going to be hyper personal to you and and go and ask some questions about it. If you've got a nutritionist, you know, on staff, great. If you don't get in touch, DM one of these guys, ask some questions and yeah, you know, we've got to be partners in performance, not adversaries. And so, yeah, join the movement and lads. Thanks so much for this has been great. Yeah.
1: Thanks for having us on. Appreciate the time, man. It's
0: fun. Thanks for listening all the way to the end. As always, if you'd like to get in touch with me, head to codyroyal.com or find me on Twitter, and we'll see you next time.